Welcome to Soft Landing, the podcast that makes interior design accessible to everyone. Hey guys, I'm Amy. I'm an interior designer, artist, and space planner. I'm here to talk about everything you need to know about interior design, from furniture to finances. I'm sharing over a decade of experience to help you find real design solutions and craft the space of your dreams. Hey there, welcome home, Landing Crew. This is episode lucky number 42, and I definitely have the answers to life, the universe, and everything right here. How's your day going? It is sunny and hot here in Brooklyn, and I'm hiding away in my air-conditioned apartment with an ice-cold seltzer, and I'm thinking about you and your DIY projects, and more specifically, all the seemingly small things you can do to help your DIY and home upgrade projects run smoothly from start to finish. Snag free is the name of the game. Whatever you're tackling, whether it's a giant extreme home makeover style overhaul, or maybe you're just making some minor tweaks that will end up having a major impact on how you feel about your space. If you're like me, I have a bunch of art that I want to hang that's just been leaning against a wall for a little too long. I got to get on that. But time after time, where projects either rocket into the stratosphere of success or fail to launch is all in the preparation work. The corporate office buzz phrase, setting yourself up for success, gets tossed around all the time, probably a little bit too often, but it's overused because it's true. The success of any project really is all about plotting out everything that happens before the end result. It's all about the behind the scenes stuff, everything in between the before and after pictures. It's the stuff you don't take pictures of. Just like putting together like a play. Someone has to write the script, There are costumes that have to be designed. There's a whole set of lighting schemes that have to be set up and executed. Someone has to do all of the blocking so that people know where to stand. And then there are dress rehearsals, so much practice. And this all happens before the magic of opening night. I know for myself, I can get impatient with all the setup stuff. I just want the project to be done and dusted, and I get irritated when I feel like DIY projects are calling for too many fussy extra steps that I don't see value in. But I've learned, both from working with clients and doing projects for my own home, that setup and prep work is not only what provides that big reveal ta-da moment, but it's also what keeps your new bookshelf from falling off the wall in the middle of the night. I speak from personal experience on that one. So we are going to walk through some of the most common things that I see get left out of DIY projects that will have a major impact in the success and longevity of your next fearless DIY adventure. One of the most common things people use to give their space a new look and feel is, of course, paint. Whether it's painting your walls, ceilings, furniture, or even the hardware on your bathroom cabinets, 
paint is affordable, and who doesn't love to dream up a new color for an item, especially once you've realized you're sick of the existing color or it doesn't go with the new coffee table you got? It can cause a real obsession for me once I decide an item's main contribution is providing pure eye agony to the space, so painting is an awesome way to make a big impact. And painting is a major tool in commercial projects too, especially when the client is looking for cost-saving strategies. I've had all the bright brass metal finishes in a lobby refinished to be sleek dark graphite, and I've sent every filing cabinet in a two-floor office to be electrostatically coated in gray to cover up the mix and match of five different colors from when two branches combined. It makes a big difference, and if it saves something from going into the trash, it's making you an eco-hero in the world of interior design at the same time. Bravo. As fun as it can be to watch videos of flower pots being spray painted and magically changing colors in a matter of video seconds, there are some essential prep steps that must happen if you want to love your project next year and frankly next week. And it all comes down to primer. Primer is the stuff that you put on a surface that you're painting before you paint it, right? I see a lot of primer skipping or sometimes in the store you'll even see paint that says it has primer mixed in, which I'm not a big fan of. And I just want to go through what primer really is, why we use it, when you have to use it versus when you actually don't have to use it. More than anything, primer is a chemical conduit. It helps the surface that you're painting better grip and adhere to the paint itself. Now, a really good question would be, why doesn't the paint just adhere to the material that it's supposed to adhere to? Well, let's have a quick chemistry lesson. Don't fall asleep on me here, or you know, I, you do you. Maybe you'll still get it via osmosis. Paint is a vehicle for pigment, AKA color, and most paints are formulated to go on multiple surfaces and materials. So you might get a furniture paint that's good for wood and plastic laminate or even metal because the paint formulation is really more about the color and finish. Finish is referring to whether it's matte, glossy, eggshell, satin, you know that drill. It's not so much about the adherence to whatever is being painted. There is certainly some consideration, but if that was the main focus of the paint, adding those chemical components would, say, probably quadruple the amount of paint bases available that you would have to select from, which would be confusing to consumers, and it could affect the way the pigment looks. Certain chemical reactions can cause oxidation and deteriorate over time, so you really want to keep the pigment as pure as possible. I'm trying to think of a good common knowledge analogy for why these two things must be separate. I think maybe a good analogy is like underwear. <laughs> when I hear people make the case that primer should be incorporated into paint, I have the same reaction as if someone said, well, why aren't your undergarments sewn into your clothes? Because that sounds really silly, right? I guess, I guess there are like exercise tops that have bras incorporated into them, but they're kind of annoying to get on and off. And, you know, the elastic will wear out in one before the elastic in the other one does, and they're not that practical. Okay. Typically, you want undergarments to be separate from clothing because 
they're really performing two separate functions. If you have a pair of underwear that you really like, you might want to wear it with different pairs of pants. Or if you have a pair of pants you really like, you're going to want to wear it maybe multiple days in a row and be able to switch out your underwear. Primer is the exact same concept. It serves a different function than paint, and you can use the same primer with different paints, and you can use different primers with the same paint. So potentially you can put the same paint on lots of different materials, but they would all have different primers on them. So they would look the same, but the chemical adherence would be correct for each material. Okay, I hope I didn't lose you with that analogy. I get it. Primers are really annoying, but they're so important, I promise. Primers are completely a must in many instances, like when you're painting a piece of furniture. There are specific primers for metal, plastic laminate, wood, all different kinds of surfaces. If you don't prime these surfaces, for instance, with plastic laminate and metal, because those surfaces are smooth, the paint can have trouble really adhering to the surface and pull up in areas. And that means that the finished painted surface may not look very smooth or really nice at all. For wood, depending on the species and the existing finish of the wood, how the wood is treated, it can be extremely porous and you'll notice your paint isn't going very far because it's all being absorbed into the wood. Primer prevents that from happening and provides a smooth, ready-to-paint surface. However, if you're painting drywall, like the walls or ceilings in your home, there's a 99% chance that there's already paint on the drywall. And in that case, the main reason you would use a primer is if there's a darker color paint or like a really bright saturated color paint with a lot of pigment in it and you want to go lighter. So you've got maybe a dark gray or even a really bright green. And in that case, primer isn't really providing anything chemically, but it's lightening the wall so that the new color will take fewer coats. You could also theoretically use your actual paint as a primer in this instance, but it can end up needing like two extra coats depending on the condition. So I would recommend priming. If you're painting a light colored wall, a different light color, you can skip the primer. Hooray! But all other times, please prime what you're painting. Another thing I see people skip on with painting projects is the use of drop cloths. Drop cloths are available in canvas or plastic and are huge sheets that protect flooring and furniture in the room while you're painting. And I personally can't see a plastic drop cloth without thinking of the TV show Dexter or, of course, the first episode of Twin Peaks. But drop cloths are 100% not intended for murder and definitely intended to help you with your painting projects. Now, I have gone into painting projects thinking I will just be really careful and not get any paint anywhere except for where I'm trying to get it, right? Somehow I always end up with paint on my clothes, paint on the floor, and if it's a really crazy day, paint on my surrounding furniture. The use of drop cloths will give you the wiggle room to be a little messy and not have to worry about scrubbing the floors later. It's basically like using tinfoil to line your sheet pans when you cook. It makes cleanup so easy. Don't miss out on it. I personally am a really big fan of using water-based or chalk-based paints for my projects, but sometimes there are certain projects that call for the use of spray paint or oil-based paints. 
Honestly, either way, you want to make sure you have really excellent ventilation in whatever room you're painting. This can be as easy as bringing your project outside or into the garage with the door up. For us city dwellers, it can be a little more tricky, but try opening all the windows and gathering every fan you have and turning them on high. And absolutely no spray paint indoors, unless of course you have one of those giant ventilated air booths specifically for spray painting, which I definitely don't have. Do you? And the drop cloth rule applies double for spray painting. That stuff can really fly farther than you think, including into your nose and mouth. So definitely wear a mask and clothes that are meant to get dirty. Another thing that might seem like it doesn't matter, but actually makes a huge difference is if you're painting furniture like a dresser or anything that can be disassembled in any way, if you disassemble it first, paint it, let it all dry completely based on what the paint says its cure time is, then reassemble the piece, you will have much better results. I often see people just diving in and painting something completely assembled, but this can result in doors and drawers actually getting painted and sealed shut, or at least being sticky and annoying when you open and close them. You can even get pooling of paint in the little cracks and crevices between all of the pieces, and you'll be scraping it out with an X-Acto knife, which is not fun. And on that note, there are actually two steps for paints to go from their liquid state to their solid state. Each of these steps should have an approximate time listed on the outside of the paint can. So there's one time for drying to the touch and another time for the paint to fully cure. So this is important because when an item is dried to the touch, it's usually okay to pick it up and move it around, but it isn't okay to put all your books and dishes on it because they will leave an imprint unless the paint is fully cured. One very interesting thing is that latex wall paint actually has a curing time of 30 days. So that's all of the typical paint cans you see in a hardware store for painting your walls. Even though it dries to the touch in under an hour, that's one of the many reasons why latex paint should never be used to paint furniture because you will likely put something on top of your painted piece in less than 30 days and it will cause discoloration and disrupt the finish of the paint and it's such a heartbreak when you've completed a project and then the paint hasn't fully cured and there is damage to the piece. So definitely stick with chalk-based paint when you're painting furniture. It cures so much more quickly. I think the cure time is like 24 hours. It varies a little bit by brand, but it certainly is not 30 days. So you can have your piece painted and back up and running in under a month. (laughs) Switching topics completely. One of the best investments I ever made in my career was buying a super wide 35 foot long measuring tape. I remember having various keychain size tapes that I never really seemed to feel comfortable using, and then I got a real tutorial from a drapery installer. Measuring tapes that are skinny are extremely difficult to control. The wider the tape, the more rigid it is, which allows you to stabilize it and bend it at a 90 degree angle for support when measuring things like ceilings and long distances. I'll link some really helpful videos in the show notes because this is the kind of thing you need to see a demo of to really understand. Measuring in general is one of those things that I just can't recommend enough. And 
there's that old carpenter saying, measure twice, cut once. I'm more of a measure three times person. I like to be 100% sure of what I'm working with. But where this can get tricky is knowing what to measure and when. It's very dependent on the project you have, but you should always understand the three main dimensions of any item you're bringing into your space. That's the length, width, and height. And it can be very helpful to mark out the dimensions of a new item with blue painter's tape on your floor, just to be sure you understand the footprint. This is helpful even when you're just ordering something new rather than taking on a full project. A major component of many home projects involves hanging things from the wall, whether it's floating shelves, anchoring tall bookcases to the wall, hanging artwork or mirrors. If you're sick of trying to make five command hooks hold up a piece of artwork, it's time to get comfortable using your wall to support all of your awesome projects. One thing I use all of the time when I'm hanging something that is particularly heavy is a stud finder. This little device gets skimmed horizontally across your wall and gives a little beep when it passes a stud. You can mark the location of your stud with a pencil and drill into it anywhere vertically. The studs are the structure behind the drywall and they provide support for heavy items like oversized mirrors and shelves. Using the stud finder also provides endless opportunities for dad jokes. But one thing that can be limiting about using a stud to support what you're hanging is studs are typically 16 inches apart, so there might not be a stud exactly where you want to hang something, especially if you're trying to get something centered over your sofa or line up with another object in the room. This is where anchors come in super handy drywall itself really can't hold more than a typical 8x10 picture frame, so if you want anything larger, you'll need to add a little support to help disperse the weight. There are tons of drywall anchor options. Some are self-drilling, some are super small, some are giant. The most common ones look like extra big plastic screws, and you'll be able to select the one that's right for you based on the weight of the object you're hanging. So the idea is you drill the anchor into the wall and then drill a screw into the anchor. This can be done anywhere in your drywall that isn't in front of a stud, and anchors can typically support up to 50 pounds for the heavy-duty ones. Now, if your home is pre-war, i.e. built before 1945, there's a possibility that the wall you want to drill into isn't drywall at all, but is actually plaster. Plaster walls will crumble if you hammer a nail into them, so you'll need to get specific anchors just for plaster anytime you hang something up, even if it's as light as a Polaroid. If you're not sure what your walls are made of, you can find an inconspicuous spot and put a thumbtack into the wall. Drywall is soft, relatively, and will be pretty easy to get the tack in. Plaster is harder and crumbly, and you'll likely struggle to get the tack in the wall fully without making kind of a crumbly mess. What are your favorite prep activities for home projects? You can message me on Instagram at softlandingpodcast or write a review on Apple Podcasts and let me know. Until next time, be excellent to yourself, stay grounded, and start that project that you've been putting off. 
I'll talk to you in the next episode. 